So I could see the writing on the wall was not great there for me long-term. And so I looked around, I was like, oh, adults, home health, it's still in people's homes. I love that. But I'm going to sit in an actual chair at an actual table or on the couch. There's not as much sitting on the floor. All right. I'm here with Jen, who is a speech language pathologist. I'm really excited to talk with her because she has a job that I think is very interesting and in a growing field. I actually remember researching this job for myself over a decade ago when I began learning about different careers. And I really look forward to hearing from someone who actually knows what the industry is like. So Jen, thank you for being on the show. And I'm excited. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So let's just go right into it. Um, what exactly does a speech language pathologist mean? What do you do kind of in a nutshell? The pathology is the study of, and so it's the study of speech and language, and it's kind of a huge umbrella that covers anything that can go wrong with the enunciation of words or how language is processed, but it also encompasses feeding because that has to do with the mouth and how that moves. So there's a lot that it that goes into it, depending on which track a person chooses to take with their degree. But it's a basically covering communication problems, mm -hmm. the understanding of language and the expression of language, as well as feeding problems. Perfect. So how long have you been doing this and what degree did you get? Was that a part of getting into this field? Can you speak to that? Yes, I've been doing this over 20 years, and I got um, my undergraduate degree at Baylor University, Sikkim Bears, and my graduate degree from the University of Texas at Dallas. And they, both of them, as listed on the diplomas, is a degree in communication disorders, or COM-D. So I have a COM-D um, degree in both my undergraduate and my graduate degree. Gotcha. How long did it take to get all those degrees for you? Six years total for an undergraduate and two in graduate school. Gotcha. And that's still, that's still what it requires. You can get an associate's degree in four years now. And that I think is actually more common than it was when I was going through back in the dark ages. But <laughs> um, so there's more assistance now. And I, I think they're valued in our profession and I'm glad we have them. So there is two different tracks now, if you wanted to be in the field of speech therapy. Yeah. Would you mind telling us what those tracks are and kind of digging into that a little bit? Well, it's a speech therapy assistant, and that's after a four-year degree. And the difference there is you implement the programming. You're given an evaluation and some goals, and you need to be the implementer of those goals. If you get have your master's degree, then you are the one doing the testing and the planning. And I also do the implementation. I don't have an assistant, so I do, I do it all. Um, but there are um, a lot of programs that maybe the person who has their master's degree is over several assistants. A person who has their master's also has to take board clinical assessment. So there's two parts to getting to be able to practice as a speech language pathologist. 
So just because you have your master's, you still have to take your boards. Right. And then that is what's called you getting your C's, your certificate of clinical competence. So on my certificate, my signature, I joke that we try and kind of puff ourselves up because we have a lot of alphabets after our name. It's like we... <laughs> We want to feel super proud of ourselves. So we put a lot out after that's that. That's right. Well, you put uh, a lot of work into it. So you deserve that alphabet we soup do. after your right. name. Yes, right? that's right. So after you get your C's, that's establishing that you can do the testing, do the goal writing and the implementation. But if you are lucky to have an assistant, um, then they are the ones that can actually implement that therapy on your behalf. Mm -hmm. But you're constantly monitoring the programming and the goal setting and things like that. So um, I, uh, my roommate is, she's a therapy supervisor. I think that's her title. And she kind of has enjoyed getting out of the weeds of some of the actual therapy with the students and the setting that she's in. And she enjoys more of the paperwork and the planning and things like that. Yeah. So she's, there's different, there's a lot of different ways to practice in the field. And I, I do appreciate that. There's just lots of avenues and um, streets to drive on so that you don't get bored or burnt out. That's good. How long did it take for you to prepare to pass the C's? Is it like, is it really difficult? Is it do they I, prepare you for it in school? Yes. Um, I am not a great test taker. And so, um, but what I liked about this, I, I did not perform well on maybe the SAT or the GRE because that's a test of general knowledge. What I liked about the boards, it is based on the um, content that you've just learned in grad school. So I did better on my boards than maybe I did on the SAT or GRE because hey, you know, it works. It, it, yeah. I, I felt like because it was material that I was supposed to know um, and I had just finished school on it, I did not wait. I did not postpone to take my boards. I was taking it. I mean, I was going to finish up and take them. So I had it all up here. Um, it's not to say it's not stressful, but in retrospect, it is based on what you've just been taught over over the last six years. So I, I felt like it was a lot, a lot, but manageable. Good. I guess the next question I would consider to be the main focus of the show, would you just be able to walk us through kind of a typical day or a typical week so that we really get a feel for what does it feel like to be a speech language pathologist, you know, day in, day out, what tasks, projects, people are you working with? And feel free to be as detailed as you want, spend as much time as you want here so that we really get a, a sense of what the job is like. Well, I, I read that and I wanted to break it into just several mini things um, because I have worn different hats in my profession and I've changed uh, settings. And so the first setting I'm going to address is more of the home health speech therapist. I've been a home health pediatric therapist and I've been a home health adult. And in that setting, you are the single speech therapist for that patient and you drive home to home in order to provide services. And the pitfall there is if you have questions or concerns, then you're having to track down other people in your field to ask those questions. Whereas in a school setting or a hospital setting, you're, you might run into a more speech therapist just throughout your day. Yeah. Um, but in the home health setting, there are times when 
it's just very isolating. Uh, and you are walking into situations. If I could write a blog, it would be about my home health days just because really the funny stories, some of them not so funny. I mean, just humanity. I love learning about humanity. I love cultures and just why do people do this? Or why do they live this way? And um, I loved my time in home health because I love cultures again, and just getting behind a peek behind people's doors that you don't usually get. You drive by a lot of houses and I've been in a lot of houses. Um, And you really do need good people skills for that. Empathy is huge because you're going in to work on speech therapy and that day a crisis might be happening and you make it um, relevantly ethical to speech therapy, but it isn't what you had planned for the day. You, you need to pivot. You need to be flexible and figure out how to make, gosh, they need food stamps today. How am I going to make that um, an ethical part of our therapy session today. And so again, flexibility is key, being able to work with a range of personality types and again, different, different kinds of people mm-hmm. and being willing to just sit down on the floor with pediatrics and, you know, play and engage in that way. And so I would say in the home health setting, you need to be personally driven no one's watching what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a strong sense of um, wanting to do your own personal best because in a business world, someone is going to see what you're doing and either call you on the carpet for it or cheer you onward. And I've spent 23 years in a field where I cheer for myself because I have one, uh, this is typical and an annual evaluation once a year. And it's based on one home health visit. Wow. And of course they're going to say you're doing great, right? Because yeah, of course. they want to cheer for you. And so, so if I you need that feedback, that can be a little bit difficult because you be don't really weird. know how you're doing. You just got to be able to self-evaluate and right. be ethical that you're doing your job up to a standard. Right. And I would say in every setting I describe, something that grad school does not prepare you for is the amount of paperwork that you are required to do. You are taught the job of it, or maybe the components of what your job might look like, but you are not um, in any way, shape or form prepared for how much assessment writing and note-taking and data collection that you're having to do on a lot the of job. just documentation, I would imagine. Right. right. Yes. So, you know, that gets to be challenging, but I, again, that's the pros and cons. I think of home health. I got to set my schedule, which when you are trying to plan a family is awesome. I mean, there's a lot of pros to home health therapy. The cons of are somewhat obvious is in pediatric. If you go and you knock on Johnny's door and Johnny's parents decided to move in the middle of the night, you're not getting paid. And so I, I joked that when my caseload would get low, I would, I would like put flyers on apartment doors because I needed kids. I'm like, surely some kid in here and there's a whole apartment complex needs speech therapy. And I'm jamming stuff on people's door. I feel like, you know, stand at the end of the Walmart checkout line and just saying, excuse me, do you need speech therapy? Who in here does? Um, so trying to keep your caseload up some is, is a stressful situation if you're not full-time, but being able to manage a schedule around what's happening in your own life is 
it's kind of like working for yourself as long as you get in your stuff then in your paper then nobody's calling for you yes um, so that would be a a pro, I would think of home health. And the other setting I've been in is the schools. And the reason I changed to the schools is it, I was very isolated in home health. There's not, um, there's no donuts in the workroom. There's yep. no birthday parties and everybody's kind of getting together. And I think that's hard as a speech therapist, you're, we're all social. I would I haven't met an, you know, anti-social speech therapist. Yeah. It's almost an oxymoron. Right. We're connectors. We love to talk. We love to engage and learn and go back and forth. And if you think about it in a home health setting, you're the only one doing that Hmm. because the people you're there to help are there. You're there because they need your help. So it is a challenge, um, or for me personally, I found it challenging, um, because I was part-time and I don't, I can't imagine that wouldn't be the case, even if you were full-time, but you know, you work out of your car, which is your home, which those are the people you see all day, every day. Um, so there's not a lot of camaraderie there. And I, I was craving that. Um, so I switched to the schools kind of hoping there would be um, more camaraderie. And I would say if, if you are a full-time speech therapist in the schools, that would be better for you. It's not that way for me as part-time, but I, I can look into someone who is a speech therapist on a campus full-time and see absolutely, that would absolutely be a need that we'd be met by working in the schools or working in a hospital setting or outpatient rehab, something like that, um, where your, your location is steady and you're moving about a singular location. So, um, and again, that's just, that has nothing to do with speech therapy, but it does have to do with your personality and maybe choosing the job or why you would choose a career path. What does not change is your need to be a self-starter. Mm-hmm cheer for yourself, hold your own self accountable to learning new skills. You can imagine when I was doing pediatric home health, I was mainly birth to three and I, I could write goals in my sleep for birth to three, like a kid would roll in on my caseload. And I'd be like, yep, I've done this for 15 years. He looks just like this other kid. I'm going to pull that report. I'm going to change a few things to make it applicable. And we're, I was just, you know, going to town. I changed my setting. Well, now I have to learn. Now I've got kids. They don't even start school until they're three. So now I'm having to learn all about or remind myself because I did learn it a long time ago, but I have to remind myself language acquisition. What is it so that I know when it goes wrong? What part of it? What am I looking at? So there's a heavy, heavy emphasis and I hope still put on, you have to know the systems of language and what is going correctly so that you can identify when someone is sitting in front of you, what's, what's not, you know, firing correctly, what cranial nerve isn't working here. What's, what's the problem that I'm seeing? Interesting. You have to kind of go back to your anatomy and physiology classes and say, okay, or my language acquisition, child development classes what was the arc supposed to be? And maybe what cut in here to stop that? Well, that's all on me. That's me in front of CEUs, continuing at hours, 
trying to understand that. And I I think that requires, like I said, just being a self-starter, self-motivated. I care enough to do my personal best. I would say that's most speech therapists. We are go-getters, but I'm not saying that you can't do this job. You can phone it in like every other job. You can phone it in pretty much, you know, any career um, for a little while at least. But I would say most of the people that I met doing speech therapy, they are they want to do their personal best and they're wanting to learn. They chronically, I love to learn. So I'm chronically, you know, in my downtime listening to podcasts or having CEUs trying to stay current in our field. Are there any podcasts that are in your fields that you would recommend offhand that you can think of? Uh, yeah, I have it on my phone. I can look really quickly. I don't know what the name of them are. Rachel Maddell. I love her. Jesse Innsberg. She's really good. And for me personally, I'm listening to a lot on augmentative communication, and that is new to me because whenever I was in grad school, that was not a thing, or if it was a thing, it wasn't highlighted in my program. And I was, I went to some of the best, but, um, you have to understand as technology improves, it's amazing and awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm working with a student right now where she's using her eye gaze board. That was not happening back in 1992 with parachute pants and MC hammer. I mean, we weren't, we weren't there, but we were cool in our fashion, but we were not learning about how to do our eye gaze board. So again, if you are willing to be a constant learner, I think this field kind of dazzles you, right? I mean, you get exposed to a lot of cool things. And if you don't like technology, no problem, then, you know, go into the feeding and that type of, I mean, there's just so many avenues. I don't think you would get bored in our field. You just had to to figure out which hat you want to wear for a season. And again, the adult therapy, I've, I've, I dabble in it just a little bit and they're, I love adults. They're working on completely different things, but I would say the pros and cons are the same and and those and with the yeah. adults. How did you get uh, cases when you were a home health worker? Was it the families always coming to you and hiring you individually? And then no. I would imagine when you're okay. So when you're at like a school or a hospital, I imagine the cases come to you. Right. Can you talk to that health, a little bit? Home health companies, and I've worked for a lot, they are a dime a dozen in big cities. And so I would be, you need to be careful and looking at how they accept patients, both adult and pediatric doesn't matter. Usually a pediatrician from, if we're thinking, if we're thinking kids, a pediatrician would recommend, you know, you go in for your well child visits. And Johnny gets to be two and Johnny's mom says, he's not saying anything. Well, a good pediatrician would say, whoa, let's talk more about that. And then they would say, oh gosh, well, you're right. Johnny isn't saying anything you need to. And then he hands the referral to the parent and the parent goes, and it's a whole racket with home health companies. They're out there. It's a business. They're out there to those pediatricians. They're handing out their card. Why do you want to use us? why you should choose us. It's a thing. Hmm. Now, ECI, uh, early childhood intervention is run by the government birth to three. And so there's not as much, I would say, jockeying for business there. They run the, the world there, but when you turn three, it's a business and they're out there to make money. So as a therapist, I had to begin to ask really good questions, rate of pay, What do I do when I knock on the door and Johnny's not there? Do I get a no-show rate? If I don't, I'm out. 
Uh, I did. I value. I have to esteem myself enough and value my own time. You do. Um, but and I, there were seasons where our fi- our family financially, I would be like, "Oh, you're at Walmart. I'll wait because I needed the money, right? You're. I'll go. I'll come to Walmart. We'll do it while you sit in the cart." <laughs> um, but and then there are other times when our our family may not have needed the money as much, and it was all right. I'll see you next week. I'll text you to remind you that you need to be here. I'm going to be here. Yep. Yeah. You missed, but the caseload I would say is the, unless you're full-time, which means your salary, you know what to expect, which is very, I would say they want you to be full-time because then they can just push as many clients on you as they want there. You're not at a position really to say no, they make money only when you're sitting in front of a, a child billing that time. So you can imagine that can get stressful. The work-life balance, yeah, would be a lot. And so I, I never went in full-time. I always wanted to control my my caseload. And that works great if you can have a farming mentality. When your kids are all great and the families are all present, then you stock money away for those months when everybody in the household's sick and they cancel all the time where they move in the middle of the night. So you do have to have some skills, but it, you figure it out. You figure it out. But um, whereas schools is great. I you I read one of the questions was the, the monetary compensation. Yeah. In Texas, you go on to the local HEB or... Plano or whatever, wherever the website is that lists teacher salary, because it is public record, you get paid as a speech therapist to someone with their master's degree. And a lot of times the sad thing about it is I had 20 years of experience when I wanted to start with the schools. And because I did not have 20 years of school experience, they were going to accredit me a big fat none. So I said, okay, no, I, I, again, I value my worth. I know my worth. I will not choose that. And so I'm not full-time with them and I've managed my own contractual rate, but that is the good thing about working in the schools is there's no guesswork. You just pull it up right there. You can look across the master's line and you can know how much you would. That's public record. You, you should be able to figure out if you're working at a school, exactly what you'll be making. And so, you know, if it's worth the investment of going to school, getting all the degrees, getting all the certifications, you know, maybe not as much as you're hoping at the very beginning, but at least it's good to know what it's going to be. Right. Uh, Not every job has that. So exactly. So let's see, you've done such a good job of answering uh, so many of my questions. I didn't even have to ask a lot of them. Here's a good question. What do you wish that you knew back when you were starting out that you know now? That's tough. If I would have known and then executed because knowing and executing are two different things. Um, But I would have tried to cultivate outside work relationships more because again, I I really did feel like the work was going to be where my people group was. I, I attend church. So I also have that group as well. But once I started my family and then dropped to part-time, again, just the isolation of it all and the perks, I guess, you need to be content with the salary that you're making is a good salary. You are impacting others. I'm not trying to downplay that, um, but there's not a lot of, of uh, cheering you onward. Mm-hmm. And so I would have, I don't know, like I joke that, 
I don't know why like Girl Scout sashes aren't still a thing and why we don't still get badges because there, I, I needed the badge of, I, I sat in that house for three years on the floor with roaches and like just kept on going. And then they moved and they didn't say thank you. They, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of raw rying, but I'm going to give myself a roach badge because <laughs> I really did a whiz bang job on that kid. I did not know how important feedback maybe would have been. Yeah. Being a part of a team, you're kind of ice isolated, like you said. Right. Yeah. Um, or finding that in some other method, because I still love my profession. I just didn't maybe know how personally I needed that and how that would play out in my career. And that if, if I could find it in some other way, or that would have been helpful. That's good. So Earlier, you mentioned that, especially in your home health, you had potentially some uh, funny stories or, you know, I'm sure you could probably fill an entire podcast with different stories. Do any come to mind that are uh... HIPAA approved? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I will say the funny things are just... And I can't say their names, but you know, humanity is some creative beings when they name their children. I... I have had all of the Disney princesses in one family. I mean, you know, like that's pretty awesome, right? It's, you feel like you need to take your autograph book every single week when you go. But just, I had one little boy that you never in your life thought you would have to come up with the phrase, hey, buddy, we're only going to put 10 fingers on the toys today because his sweet dad, he was potty training his son and he dressed him like poo every day. Like he had a shirt on, but no pants because it's naked day and we're potty training. And it doesn't matter that Miss Jen is coming. It's naked day. So you know what kids do is they pull a toy right up to their bodies to play with it because it's exciting. They just they got it, put it right here. And so as I'm saying it out loud, like for the fifth week in a row, I'm like, Hey bud, just 10 fingers, not that 11th finger down. Nope. 10 fingers on toes. We need to play with it way out here. And little guy was like, yep. Okay. These are the things that as you say them out loud, they totally make sense. They make, no one's going to deny that yep. that does not make perfect sense, but it's not really a conversation to use at dinner to what did you do today, mom? Well, there was this little kid. Holy moly. But you know, in San Antonio, when I worked, I worked in some terrible neighborhoods and I was the, like the gang members totally embraced me because I was there to help the kiddos. And so yeah. I got a personal escort in. I got a personal escort out. I love humanity. I encounter more people and stories and the story I get to learn more about people than sometimes their own family members know about them, especially in adult home health. But, and I, and I, I'm honored by that. How often did you work with kids and versus working with adults? And I'm, I'm curious, cause I kind of have an idea in my head of what it would be like to work with kids who are trying to acquire language or have some issue, but what's the difference between working with kids and adults? Kids typically never acquire language. They either are born with a disability that is um, keeping them from the ability to develop language in a natural arc, or very rarely do we have a neurological incident where they had a stroke or they had a car accident or a brain injury. Very rarely it happens, but it's more, I didn't acquire language. So instead of rehab, it's 
uh, habilitation of language. Whereas adults typically have language and do have an incident, a neural incident, a stroke, anything that, you know, car accident, aneurysm, and now they have lost that. So it is rehabilitation. We're trying to get them back as much functioning as they can. And that's a whole different, you do become someone's personal cheerleader and okay, counselor, the hats you wear in that, that I'm, I'm still in that setting. And the reason I changed from pediatric home health to adult is because of my age. When I sit on the floor with a kid, crisscross applesauce on my little learning circle, about 30 minutes in, I can't feel my legs. So this is that you can laugh. It is funny. Um, so as that, I saw that I'm like, I'm going to stand up and I thought I should just pop up and I'm over there, like leaning on the glass table. Hold on just a moment. Can I have some support? Yep. This is so embarrassing. I'm not trying to have this conversation. I look like I'm being super like into your conversation as we stand here, but I'm actually trying to let the blood return to my legs before I begin <laughs> walking to the door. So I could see the writing on the wall was not great there for me long-term. And so I looked around, I was like, oh, adults, home health. It's still in people's homes. I love that. But I'm going to sit in an actual chair at an actual table or on the couch. There's not as much sitting on the floor. I like that Uh, for me personally right now. I miss the kids, but I I do enjoy um, just the ability to walk around without having to pause as the blood returns to my legs. But with adults you are having to, like I said, wear a counseling hat. You're like, okay, it's not going to be possibly the same, but we're going to work on compensatory things. What can, and again, AI and all that stuff is awesome. Now you can talk to text. If spellings your issue, let me help you with that. There's ways to help someone return to work or return to a functional living in their home environment that is different but it's still quality of life. And that's very rewarding. That's good. I think I just got like two more questions here. Uh, One of them I really wanted to hit is what kind of person would be a great fit to do what you do or to be in your industry? And then what person might think that they would be a good fit, but we could maybe save them some time and energy and and schooling if they, they go in and then they realize, you know what, this is not for me. And now I've spent, you know, six, eight years of my life getting all certified and ready to go. And I, I do not like this. So can you kind of talk to both people so that we can open the right doors for people that should walk through and close the wrong door for the person that probably shouldn't become a speech language pathologist? I would say someone who has a teaching gifting because there is a lot of teaching going on. Uh, Everyone in my family growing up was a teacher, but I, I knew that wasn't the path I wanted to follow follow at Christmas, everyone sat around and complained about the teaching profession, um, which I actually think there's a lot of pros to it. But as I personally grew up, I realized, okay, I do have a gift of teaching and explaining and talking something through, but I don't necessarily want to stand in front of a classroom. And so I started looking around at what other things look like that or kind of mirror that, but I'm not it's more one-on-one and I'm absolutely better in that setting than with a group of 24. Again, if you're thinking teaching, but you're concerned about behavior management and classroom dynamics, and you know, you don't really want to host the bike rodeo and do parent conferences. This has all the perks. I think of a lot of the teaching elements to it. 
it's just a lot heavier on language acquisition. I mean, you know, we're not doing math and science. If you enjoy that, if you have that type of personality, I think I've already covered, maybe if you're super social, then find it somewhere else. It's not that you can't thrive in this field, but you do, you do need to figure out how to get it somewhere else. Um, and if you need accolades, there are people whose love languages are like words of affirmation and you need to be told you're doing a great job often, or you need that feedback from a crowd or that endorphin rush of, I just gave a really great presentation and I can tell from this room that I'm killing it. Yeah. That's, that's not going to happen. I mean, kids will tell you you're cool, but if that, you know, if that doesn't, if that doesn't, yeah, then you might need to do something else. Um, I would say our field is awesome. There's something for everyone. I didn't even talk about feeding and nutrition. There's a whole segment of therapists who look at x-rays all day and video fluoroscopy and do feeding. And I don't have as much knowledge in that area. So I'll talk about it. I don't want to make them cross me off their list of, but there's something, if you want to go medical, if you want to do again with adults or with kids or with groups, or it's just so vast. And I will say, if you're a guy, please come think about it. Think about like this guys, if you struggle to date and you need a date, you walk into any college class on any campus that has a speech pathology degree and there will be exactly 100 females. And I'm not sure if there will be one man. So if you're like a five and normal life, you might be a 10. If you, you are a solid 10 in speech pathology world, because I had one guy and one guy in my undergraduate and graduate school. So you know, it's something to think about, something to roll around in your mind. But it all jokes aside, it is why we are paid less than OTs and PTs. Wow. OTs and PTs have the same amount of schooling, same amount. PTs now have to have their doctorate. But when I was in school, it was the same was amount the of schooling. Yep. But if you think through in your mind and you think of physical therapists, you don't automatically think it's going to be a lady. Yeah, you know, 50-50. Yep. And they have the highest pay rate. Interesting. OTs. It's like, if I, if my mental mind look at OTs, I think, oh, 75, 25, it's probably mostly likely a woman, mm-hmm. but it might be a man. I challenge you to, I mean, and all go to a convention. It's all women. So subsequently we have the lowest um, in the rehab team. PTs paid the most OTs paid metal speech paid the least. So I guess if you're considering rehab, roll that through your mind and say, you know, does that really, is that important to me? For someone who's just not as familiar with that physical therapist would be PT, OT would be occupational therapy, which again, Mm -hmm. I'm going to super generalize and they're going to get mad at me, but it has more to do with uh, OTs have more to do with fine motor and then vocational returning to a vocation or um, if you're unable to return to work, it's just returning to a life balance. Um, The things that you do activities of daily living in your home, doing those uh, as successfully as you can. Um, And again, physical therapy, think gross motor skills, the walking and the movement through that. So gotcha. PTs have to have their doctorate now. So yeah. So it's a little bit more, more schooling involved. Right. Well, Jen, I 
I probably have a bunch more questions, but I feel like we really covered a lot of ground today. So I just want to leave with one final question. If somebody is listening to you and they're interested in, yeah, I want to, I want to maybe pursue this. What practical next steps would you give them? Imagine an 18 year old or even a 25 year old that maybe was doing something else and is looking to maybe go back to school or switch careers. What practical advice would you give them? Speech therapists are not hard to find in every town and every city. You can find one and you just need to know where to look and to ask to observe. You can find one in a school. You can find one in a hospital. You can call a home health agency. Look up in your, uh, oh gosh, there's no phone books in this world. Google. Can Google it. Home health care. And you will find a dozen even in around in your town. And I would just ask, we're kind people. We want to help. That is our nature. We are a helping profession. Yes. Um, so just saddle up and go out there and do an observation to see it for yourself and see if this is something you would enjoy. That's so, so that good. Would be what I'd ask. Yep. Don't be afraid to ask. Go up, find somebody and say, hey, can I do an observation of one of your sessions? I'm interested Absolutely. in this field and I want to see if it, maybe it's maybe it really is for me. Right. And you know what? They probably haven't seen another human that day. And so they'll be so excited and they'll <laughs> say, great. Are you free every day this week? Come on. No, I just love kidding. it. Awesome. Jen, thank you so much. I had a blast talking with you. I learned a lot and uh, I hope our audience did too. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the What's That Job Like podcast. Two quick things. One, please subscribe and review the show. It takes less than a minute and it does a ton to help. Two, I would love your feedback. Is there a certain career you want to hear from, a question you'd like me to ask my guests, or anything else? Let me know. My email is jameson at whatsthatjoblike.com. Again, that's J-A-M-E-S-O-N at whatsthatjoblike.com. That is also where you can email me if you are interested in being a guest on my show. I am rapidly trying to get hundreds of interviews because I think that's how this whole project will come together and help as many people as possible. So again, please subscribe, and I'll catch you next time. Bye.